This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You know, grief is very painstakingly slow. There is just no way around it, but through it. If someone had told me that before, I would tell them to sell it someplace else. You know, I'm not, I don't believe you. I think one of the greatest things of what I'm learning more and more, even just about the book and the teachings that you are talking about is really about allowing people to understand the evolution of life and self. Having big feelings, it's not that we are supposed to ignore them. Like we have them. Welcome back to Redefine You, where we have open and honest conversations. Today, we are diving into ways we can address loss in our life through hope and inspiration. Anyone struggling with the loss of a loved one, a career, or a relationship while trying to stay true to themselves will find endless inspiration in our next guest. Alisa Donovan. She is well known for prominent roles like Amber and Clueless, Ginger in Beverly Hills 90210, and Morgan in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. And she just published an amazing book about coping with loss called Wake Me When You Leave. Thank you so much, Alisa, for joining us today. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. Thanks so much for having me. So as we start every episode, I like to check in with my guest. If you were to check in with yourself right here, right now, what would you find? <laughs> well, I uh, obviously I knew you were going to ask this question. And, um, you know, prior to about 15 or 20 minutes ago, I was yeah. feeling great <laughs> and feeling very in my body and ready for this conversation. And then our Internet went out because we're having some yeah. work done. And then I went into full panic. So then I found myself on the phone with Xfinity screaming into the line, get me a person, get me a person, <laughs> you know? So that's where I'm at. And then, I, and then my husband came out of his work from home office and said, it's back up. It's working. Cause clearly I was yelling so loud that he could hear me on his call. And he's like, everything's fine. And uh, uh, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> That's a, you know, it's a, it's a relatable place to be to say the least. I think we're all working from home these days. Most things are over zoom to keep us in the comfort of, you know, this pre COVID world. So at the end of the day, everybody can relate to that, but I would say to you, it's all about now taking a deep breath in and a deep Uh breath out because sometimes you can feel grounded. Then all of a sudden a roller coaster starts and it's back to reality. Um, I want to start with you sort of at your upbringing because you've had so many iconic roles. And we'll tap into that a little bit later and kind of the fun along the way. But I want to know about you and I want to know about where you got, where you grew up. What was your childhood like? I mean, I know that your upbringing was obviously in Northport, Long Island. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you to discover acting at such a young age in Long Island? So I grew up in a very traditional, conventional family. Uh, my dad worked. He was an executive at AT&T. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I have an older brother and sister. We grew up riding horses competitively, and uh, I was a gymnast. But in the in the first grade, I did a you know we did a school play, and I was obsessed. 
I absolutely loved it. I got completely invested in this character. I played the bad guy whose name was Ralph Rotten. I played a man and I was just all in. Now I had no idea that you could make a career of that or that people got paid to do that because I didn't have anyone in the arts in my family at all. So that really started everything. And, um, and then I started to study probably, I think I was about 11 or 12. Wow. And I just started taking acting lessons outside of school. Do you think that that kind of ignited something in you from a young age that coping through creativity was a great release for you? Yes, absolutely. Because I also, uh, so that was in first grade, maybe first, second grade, uh, we would start, I started writing stories and I wrote this, started this series about this granny who was a, um, like a superhero in New York city. And, uh, I started to write these, you know, create stories. And then very quickly after that, probably maybe fifth, sixth, certainly by seventh grade, I started to write in like start a journal. I I don't think that I called it that. I don't know what I called it, but maybe a diary or something. And I just started really writing my thoughts. And so I've really been a writer my whole life. And it certainly was a, a way of, creatively dealing with feelings and challenges. And, um, you know, again, I don't know how much I was metabolizing that at the time that it was such a tool, but certainly by early high school, I, I knew that I was actually utilizing it for that. Well, it's amazing. I think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, you can self-reflect on when you look back into your childhood Mm -hmm. and start to put a little bit more of the necessary vocabulary to it and going like, oh, I had no idea that that actually helped me then. And and now I can maybe, you know, relate that back to my child or probably you do that with your daughter, you know, and Mm -hmm. being able to Mm -hmm. say, actually, if you're dealing with this, maybe this will help you because it helped me then, but I didn't know it, you know, and it's that guiding force. I know that you, you then went off obviously to study acting, writing and photography. Mm -hmm. So how did you then travel to Los Angeles, make the big move? You obviously went to college in New York. So where did this sort of shift happen for you? So I was in my junior year of college and at the at Eugene Lang College at the New School University. It's in the West Village of Manhattan. And I was studying acting and writing. I decided between going there and the School of Visual Arts for photography. And I was really torn. I knew that I wanted to be an actress, that that's what I wanted to pursue. But I was considering pursuing photography at college. Um, but then I, I changed it. I decided to go the other direction. And so I was auditioning while I was in school and um, I got a manager and an agent through a play that I did at La Mama, which is a very well-known experimental theater in the East Village of Manhattan. And it was a piece that I co-wrote. And... I basically did all of the footwork on my own. I sent the reviews I think it was a daily news review that was the best. I showed like they reviewed the play terribly, but they said good things about me. So I kind of cut and pasted, you know, the good things and sent it to a bunch of agencies. And uh, several of them came and one was wound up being my agents for many, many years. And then at that point, 
I went out to LA just for a couple of weeks to work with my affiliate agency out there. And I didn't get a job, but I tested for several things. That was, I eventually wound up working on 90210 the following year. But that summer, I tested for the show to replace uh, Shannon Doherty. It was Tiffany Theason who wound up getting the job, myself and Meredith Salinger. So I had all this kind of activity um, Mm -hmm. and I felt like this is where I needed to go. So I packed up everything much against my dad's not against his wishes. He, he said it, but he, he really did not want me to be doing this because he didn't understand, you know, he's a very linear thinker and his career was very linear and he could not understand how this ever works out. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, you've done a wonderful job in it and to take so many different leaps of faith and just yes. dive into the fear of the unknown at such a young age is something to be, um, you know, to be applauded for and to, to showcase that you've got to kind of fall into the deep end to find the greatness. And I think that's yes. exactly what you sort of did. Um, I did but thank I, you for I, saying that. Cause I forget about that. When I think about it now, I think that was kind of ballsy. I didn't, yeah. I only knew my agent and I had one friend, Jennifer Maisel, who's a playwright that I had worked with. And I just moved in with her. And I think about that now. And I think, wow, not bad. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, but you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, my mom was the same way. My mom's an actor. She came from Tulsa, didn't know anybody went, you know, route 66 and came mm-hmm. here and just stayed. So, you know, I, I think love that it. I think back in the day, there was a lot of just you follow your dreams fearlessly without the rejection that you see others go down. And I think today Mm -hmm. you see a lot of the rejection a lot more because of social media. So I think some people can be more fearful to take that step forward, perhaps. Yeah, I think also with social media, it, it often creates this false image of how things are. So conversely, it can make it look like, oh, it's really easy. Just, yeah. you know, just get a plane ticket and, and show up in LA and you'll get a TV show, you know, <laughs> and that is simply not the case. Maybe that's happened to, you know, two people in the history of, of, uh, entertainment, but, you know, for the most part, that's just not true. So we don't yeah. see all of the, all of the bumps and the roadblocks and the disappointments and, you know, all those things are are a part, they become a part of your story and it, they really help to enrich your life and and give value to the things that that you do achieve. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think that, you know, acting is one of, you know, it takes hard work, it takes dedication, it takes talent, but I think also it definitely takes the journey of rejection and thick skin mm-hmm. to know that you have a passion for the craft beyond the success beyond yes. it. Right? Yes. Right. Because, yes. 
you yes. know, you're always, it's, you leave it at the door. You always have to yep. leave it at the door and go on to the next. And I think yep. that's what you found. And what I've, you know, obviously read about all the wonderful things you're mm-hmm. doing now and preaching and talking about is that you've been able to understand that self-discovery in a character was also self-discovery in who you were. Yes. And so I want to go really quickly into talking about body image because it's something that Mm -hmm. you speak about so fearlessly. I speak about it on a day-to-day basis. And I think it's really important for people to understand that we all have challenging moments through our body image. It's a normal thing for us to be able to face. I want to know what was your relationship coming out to Los Angeles, getting into the acting industry and the pressures that I think sometimes we feel to mold ourselves into characters Mm -hmm. and then trying to understand and what our own personal values are at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm always very clear in stating that I showed up to Hollywood with my anorexia and my eating disorder. It did not give me an eating disorder. I had it. It certainly uh, supported it, <laughs> but yeah. I, you know, I didn't at, at the time, uh, you know, anybody that has a, a, a true uh, diagnosed eating disorder understands that it isn't about the body at all. And it isn't about mm-hmm. food. It's about control and it's about a whole host of other things. And so I just had the, you know, the magical misfortune of really starting to get success as I started to get smaller and smaller. And mm-hmm. that was because I started to control the food even more. And then I equated that with success. So it yeah. just really, created these pathways in my mind that were so unhealthy. And, and then once I started actually getting success, I thought, well, this is the recipe, right? I can't, I can't stop doing what I'm doing. And then of course, it just is such a rabbit hole that, um, you know, at a certain point it becomes about, there's not not enough nutrition in your body for you to think straight. But I will say that, um, you know, for me, uh, I think it's changed a lot. And I think it's changed because people voicing their opinions like you and saying we are, we are a full spectrum of people and Mm -hmm. there is no one thing that, 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 you know, shows our value. Uh, But at that time in the nineties, I was really applauded for being super skinny. I just was. And, you know, they would say, oh, sometimes I would walk into fittings and there would be like a, (gasps) you know, a collective kind of, Oh, you're thin. But then the next statement would be, but you look so good in the clothing. And, Mm. you know, that is just a twisted way of, of being. And I got healthy pretty early on because I, I mean, I had to, um, and then the challenge became me having to be okay in the body that I was in which was not this emaciated lollipop that I had been. And, you know, some of it was met with, you know, with, with love and care. And some people would say she doesn't, she doesn't look how she used to, you know, they wouldn't say yeah she's too big. They would just say, she doesn't look as great, you know, as good. And that's just a reality. You know, I don't know if, if, if those things are said anymore, but, uh, I mean, I'm sure they are behind closed doors, <laughs> but, uh, it was, it was tough, you know, it was tough to be known for something and then try to, to be who I was underneath it all yeah. at the same time, you know, because it wasn't championed 
so much then. It's also just it's what I hear is it's the push and shove of what personally is successful for you and what professionally mm-hmm. is successful for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, putting yourself into somebody else's shoes, you start to ideal you start to fantasize about what is the idealistic beauty of this character and what do people want to see, right? But then when you go home, it's then dealing with the after effects of what you see. And I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people back in the day and and why we are even talking on the show today is we didn't speak about struggles back then. And I say we, because my family's in the industry Mm -hmm. and I, you know, we've had a lot of public things happen, you know, but we didn't speak about things that were struggles Mm -hmm. back then because you got condemned for it. in a negative yes. way where then people wouldn't yes. look at you for the art you wanted to create. That's you know? right. And maybe if you were in a place back then to be like, I, this is where I'm my happiest. And this mm-hmm. is where I take my power back. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be a different story, but I, I know how much beautiful work you do today. And we won't touch on the subject so much because you have so many more things and lessons along the way that you've accomplished too. But I really want to talk just to say one thing, if you could give advice to somebody who is struggling today with an eating disorder, what would you say to them? You know, oh after all the awareness that you have done in this, in this field and put your pain and suffering Mm -hmm. through purpose. At the end of the day, I would say the single, there are two things that really helped me to recover that were vital. One is I needed to, I needed uh, a lot of therapy and doctors and professional help, but two, I needed to come to a place where I understood, I looked at my life And I said, I get to be the skinniest and that's it. That's it. I don't, I don't, I don't get a better job. I don't get more friends. I don't get more love. I don't get a bigger house. Uh, I don't have a, you know, nothing else, zero. And all of my creativity was gone. All that I focused on my entire day was food and my body. And when I really looked at that and got honest, it was so terribly sad to me that I went, where is my life? Like, where, where am I? And that revelation is what really kickstarted the full recovery that I have today. And it was a long process, but I think you really have to look at what you want your life to consist of. And that there is only one you, there's only one. Nobody else is going to do it better than you. And and the world needs all of our individual voices and our individual feelings and, and, and art and all the contributions that we make as individuals. So that's what I would say. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. And thank you for being so fearless and sharing all of this, because I know that it probably to bring it all back up consistently can be a tough topic, but know that every time you do, it's helping another person who may be in that place. And yes, it's, that's it's, why so I thank do it. You. So thank and you. I really feel like people don't, um, you know, it's true when I talked about it initially and I talked about it on all the big nighttime journalist shows and the daytime shows and in magazines and the press wanted to hear about it, but it didn't help my, you know, no one in, in the industry really wanted to hear about it because it was kind of making this statement about it. Just people didn't want to, they didn't want to know. And I just said, this is, you know, to your point, I, I don't know that I had the, 
the ability at the time to say, this is really about me taking back my own identity and, and who I am as a creative person and just as a human being. Um, so I, I pretty fearlessly say that now. And, and, um, I think it's important that people see that you can recover and have a happy life, you know? It seems like, you know, over the past couple of years, you've had a lot of different moments uh, just publicly where you have come out talking about things that are so vulnerable and that could be really hard for a lot of people. I mean, I've mm-hmm. only come out, you know, about my mental health struggles through the pandemic. You know, I've always been a body activist, but I've never talked about anxiety or depression. And, you yeah. know, then it starts to bring things back up and it starts to have you feel a little bit alone and identifying what was the truth in that period of my life. Yes. That's how I feel in some capacity, right? Because then you've got the public point of view on it and you've mm-hmm. got all these other people chiming in and trying to dictate, especially journalists, trying to dictate, you know, where you want to yes. go with it and how you want to, yes. how they want to maneuver and your story. Just, yes. They want it to be, you know, and this isn't across the board entirely, but no. for the most part, they want to really get the most eyeballs on their story. So for example, when I first started promoting my book, it hadn't even come out yet. And we started to do some initial press. There was one podcast that did one they asked me about my past eating disorder and clueless. We spoke about it for maybe three sentences Mm. that became now it was also the fault of the person's podcast because they led with that. That's what they put out on social media. All these entities picked it up uh, in the UK, in the States, everywhere. And all they did was talk about my past eating disorder. They didn't even say that I had written a book. And I went, this is incredible how powerful the media train can be, you know, and it can be powerfully for the good, you know, or it can also be, they try to dictate. And I was so disappointed, not that because I'm, I'm clearly very willing and interested in talking about recovery and those things. It's, I think it's incredibly important but I was there to talk about the book. Of know? course, there's a time and they place. just completely left it out altogether. Of course, and I thought, you know, anybody coming across this might think, well, why is she talking about a problem of hers from 25 years ago? You know, and think like, oh, she just must want to be on TV again. You know, something. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Well, let's let's go into something wonderful for a second. Let's talk a little <laughs> bit about Clueless. And the reason why I need to talk about Clueless is because. I grew up in Encino on Louise Avenue. You guys on shot Louise the, Avenue. on Louise yes. Avenue. <laughs> you guys shot the sitcom, the spinoff, right? Next door to our house. Yes, and I was a did. little girl on a trampoline, literally jumping over, watching you guys <laughs> all the time. And I was speaking to my mom about it this morning as well, because it's such a vivid memory for us. Cause it was before my dad was really good friends with NSYNC. And you guys' production team came over one day and was like, okay, we're sorry that we told your kids not to play in the backyard anymore, but in sinks here, do you want them to come and like yeah. meet them? <laughs> and I guess, I guess me and my sister were so fearful that my mom just remembers us being like, no, we're cool. We're just going to jump on the trampoline and watch. We're just going like, to take a peek over we the did, fence, We just right? kept peeking at you guys because we were so young and we were just like, this is so interesting. We love it. And of course, mom and dad have been in the industry for so long. They were like, what are you guys doing? Why are we rolling while we're at home? What's going on right. with the rolling? Um, 
but I don't know if you remember Louise oh, Avenue or I shooting went, in Encino. I absolutely do. I remember all of it. I remember that your family lived next door because yeah. your dad, I think, came over to say hi once or they made him come over, you know, something. I remember that interchange. Yeah. I remember a person jumping up and down on the thing. I completely oh, I remember it, it all. I Louise love it. F, we were over there all the time. Yeah. Such a beautiful, beautiful house and such a good area. I don't know where you, where you live now or where you did grow up or, you know, live in Los I live Angeles, in San Francisco but... now, but. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Mm-hmm. Look at you done a whole different world way. <laughs> yep. That's amazing though. Well, I mean, Louise Avenue was a huge part of my, of my obviously upbringing. I was there for, oh my God, probably 20 years of my life. And, you know, to have that sort of synergy with you and have you on the show today has just been wonderful, but I love it. Let's tap into Amber because Amber is iconic and she has been iconic for so many, so many years. You talk about obviously the remake of Clueless kind of coming back, always having so many different lives. Mm-hmm. And obviously with so many different people in fashion today, going back to the 90s, wanting to relive these characters. What did you at that time, though, find about yourself through the discovery of Amber? Oh, I, first of all, I, I loved and love that character because she is so unapologetic and so creative. So just, I mean, to be able to walk through the high school in some of that, those getups and she was, it's like, she wanted to be on, you know, it's like she was on the Paris runway, but going to English class. And what I loved about her that I discovered about myself that I kind of, connected with is that she, you know, I, I always call myself the, the weirdo. Like I'm, I'm a little bit of a weirdo, I'm a little left of center. I don't like to go with the crowd. I'm also an Aquarian, which is very kind of, you know, we're on our own program. Um, and I feel like Amber was the same way, just in a different, in a, you know, with different details, but she was marching to the beat of her own drummer. And, um, I love that about her and, it kind of allowed me to really, you know, dig into that and, and give another side to her. I loved it. You know, the the cool thing and the reason why I ask you just even about Amber, any of the wonderful roles that you've played is because I think for one of the things that you spoke about earlier is you coping through creativity. And I think as an actor, the most wonderful job that we get is we get to heighten things and diminish things. Right. So we do actually tap into an idea of ourselves through playing somebody else in some way. And it can be a very defining or, you know, uh, opening idea of of our own self-discovery without even wanting that to be there. And Mm -hmm. it leads me obviously into this idea of just the pressures that we may have had on screen and off screen, you know we talk about obviously struggles and mental well-being on the show. And I wanted to know, you know, off screen during these prominent times when you did, you know, Sabrina, the teenage witch and you did clueless, did you have challenging moments? And if so, how did you show up for yourself and still get on with the show? You know, the, in the early years, the, the clueless years, I absolutely was struggling with my eating disorder and I had committed to recovery while shooting the the film. So, you know, that presented its own, its own, uh, challenges. And as I said, that's a very long road to recovery, but so by Sabrina, I, I was very, uh, much, you know, people don't always like to say recovered because it sounds like you're, you know, 
uh, done, but I feel very recovered. I, I, I do. Um, and, uh, so by the time Sabrina, I started Sabrina, those sorts of issues weren't, you know, they always come up as, as, as an actor, because we always have just fittings alone have got to be my least favorite part of the auditions and fittings are absolutely my least favorite part of, of, uh, this, this business. But, um, you know, we have to be looked at, you have to, you, you get photographed and assessed as to whether or not this is the right, uh, top. Is it too small? Is it too big? You know, so it's this constant mm. thing where you're, you're having to always with a, you're always looked at with a microscope. So while that's unpleasant, it wasn't such an issue with Sabrina, but, um, at the, throughout that, at the end of Sabrina is when my dad was diagnosed with cancer I was in a relationship with somebody that I thought I was going to marry. I finally realized I never thought I wanted to get married. And then I was with this person and I went, oh my gosh, I want to be married and I want to have a family. Mm -hmm. And then it became clear that that wasn't going to work. And so in very close succession, the show is canceled. My dad gets cancer and my relationship ends. And then my dad passed within a couple of months. So I went from having this whole life that I understood that yeah. was, I was on a successful television show. I had a great relationship. I had a healthy family and all those things were stripped away. And I felt, I mean, I just was flattened. I was just a, a shell of myself and I didn't know how to pick myself up again. And the real part of that process that is when I started doing yoga first of all. So now, you know, I'm, I've been a practicing yogi for 20, almost 20 years, I guess. Um, that saved my life. I will say I initially would go into classes and just cry, just weep, like the snot coming out of my nose (laughs) and then, you know, not be able to get through a class and then slowly, but surely it helped me to start meditating and put one foot in front of the other. And, um, so I, I look at those kinds of holistic things as so key to, um, to my, to my mental health, which is what's, you know, been so challenging with the pandemic is all of our, for many of us, the things that we really utilize on a daily basis were taken away and, um, you know, we had to, to, to figure out how to how to function and take care of ourselves. And as a parent, take care of my, my child and my family. And, um, you know, it was a kind of a constant re-evaluating and, and trying to, to just figure out how to put one foot in front of the other. Well, I want to go back into this gorgeous, inspiring book that you have obviously created and led with here today. The book is obviously called wake me when you leave me. And it was only just released this past June, which means Mm -hmm. there's a whole new probably process of self-discovery that's (laughs) coming out with it now being released. But I do really want to talk about how, you know, the falling apart and having these really substantial stability moments in your life, not being there anymore, Mm -hmm. actually led you to a place of self-discovery and connection deeper than you've ever had. Any loss in life can be difficult, life-altering, and lead to self-exploration. And you losing your role as Morgan on Sabrina the Teenage Witch assumingly challenged the stability in your expression through the arts. What did that feel like for you? You know, the show was canceled 
um, which, you know, was, was all for all of us, but subsequently I had been audition was pilot season and testing for all of these pilots 11 times and I didn't get a wow. job. So I went from saying I have this successful show to not only do I not have that show, but I felt as though every opportunity was being taken away. And I was left at, at this period with no, uh, no uh, expression, nothing, you know, my, it, it's not that that, uh, you know, being an actress is a part of my identity so much as being a creative person is, yeah. a, is a gigantic part of my identity. And uh, I had been fortunate for so many years of, of my creativity supporting me financially yeah. as well as, as, you know, creatively. And to try, so I, I was forced to put my, my creative um you know, juices into something else. And that's really how I started to fall back. I had been writing the whole time, you know, throughout yeah. my life, but, uh, that's really when I started to more seriously dive into writing because it was something I could do on my own. You know, I didn't need anybody else. It just needed a pen and paper or my laptop and the keyboard, you know? So it's really how I developed that that part of my creativity much more deeply and really honed it as a craft, you know, um, as opposed to just a, a form of expression. I really started to utilize it as a true craft and become a better writer. It's one thing to lose a job that you love so much and to lose that form of expression, like you said, and that's what I mean by, I don't mean by losing a television show. I mean yes. by losing the way and the, the, the call sheet that's forcing you every yes. day to be yes. able to express, right? Yes. And yes. that's what we live off of is being able to mm -hmm. just express everything that's going on inside here. Um, but, you know, then to obviously tragically lose your father, I, I couldn't imagine what was going through your mind. And I really want to understand what you did to really be able to cope through such a tragic loss. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it was so hard, <laughs> you know, in, yeah. in, in, uh, you know, in, in talking about the book so much in this period of time, I, sometimes I take this breath and say, Oh boy, that was a lot at one time. You know, like yeah. I, I, it's not that I forget. I, I just really remember that it, I, I carried a lot and, um, but you know, we are very resilient, the, the human race, we truly are. And, um, I think it, it, it really, the thing that helped me to, to move through it the most was finally just accepting how broken I felt and how, mm. and how lost I felt and really allowing myself to feel that grief and that, um, confusion and, and disorientation and, um, like a real sense of, I don't know where I belong. And I don't know how, where to go. And I think we're really afraid. Certainly culturally, we don't like to talk about these things. We like everything to be shiny and happy and pretty and fast. And, you know, grief is very painstakingly slow and yeah. there is just no way around it, but through it. And, you know, the, the irony is, is that 
you have to, you have to actually dive into it to come through to the other side. And I think we often spend a lot of time trying to avoid the bad feelings or trying to avoid the difficulty. And all that does is just make it bigger and grander. And then maybe it seeps into other areas that it wouldn't have had we just, you know, faced it head on. So I think that is the main, the main thing that I learned and that, you know, when, when we let ourselves be, be in pain and be, show that vulnerability, it allows us to become closer to humanity and to other people and the human experience. And, 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 and it does actually make the good times even brighter and, uh, I, I just, if someone had told me that before, I would tell them to sell it someplace else. You know, I'm yeah. not, I don't believe you, um, but, uh, but it really has proven to be true for me. I think it's once you strip away all of what people have a perception of who you are and you get back to the human connection that we all go mm -hmm. through it. Although mm -hmm. a lot of us don't go through it publicly. Mm -hmm. And then we have people like yourself who have now taken the leap to go through it publicly. Mm -hmm. It allows for people to identify that it's okay to not be okay. And then yes. we are all going through it at different points in our lives and there's going to be challenging moments. But mm -hmm. if we can lend our knowledge through it and I think what I've heard from all that you said was it was finally being able to sit still and to feel what you were feeling, no matter how fearful it felt, yes. you let yourself feel it. Yes. In those even darkest of moments, is there something that you felt like you reverted back to? I mean, was there a book? Was it going to yoga? Was there a toolbox that you had of different things that would serve you in those moments? Yes. Yoga, absolutely, absolutely yoga, without a doubt. Various forms of meditation, but you know, I um, I think sometimes when people hear that, they feel like, oh, you know, meditation is not I, so. Uh, but meditation, <laughs> <laughs> and also, <laughs> um, and um, yes, there were several books I read. Pema Chodron has a book called "When Things Fall Apart" that. I mean, I still, I still, I have that book right on my shelf right over here. And, um, you know, along the way there were, there's another book, William Styron's, uh, darkness, visible or visible darkness. I want to say one or the other, uh, that helped that talks a lot about depression and how to get out of darkness. And, you know, and I think that what all of these tools do is again, just, uh, it, uh, they allowed me to feel that I wasn't alone because it feels yeah. very isolating when we're going through any kind of real deep challenge. It, 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 it really comes down to this place of, Oh, I am in this alone. Yeah. No one else has gone through what I'm going yeah. through. No one knows how this feels. I will never get over it. Other people get over it, but I will never get over it. And, and that's just how it feels. That isn't how it is. That's just how it feels. And again, this, this idea that we have to feel it in order to realize, oh, feelings are, are, are feelings. They are not facts of life. They are feelings. And it's not to deny them or ignore mm -hmm. them. It's just important that we understand that's what they are. You know, I look at my daughter who just turned nine. I mean, talk about big feelings, 
big feels, <laughs> big feels about everything. I mean, I asked her to pick up her socks off the floor the other day and she laid down and just said, I am not a magician. And I went, I'm just asking you to clean up your socks, you know? So it, having big feelings, it's not that we are supposed to ignore them. Like we have them, acknowledge yeah. them, yeah. but then no picking up your sock, like not wanting to pick up your socks is okay. And then you pick them up, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's not gonna, it's not the end of the world, but it do you is feel like there was sort of a, an aha moment that helped you understand that recovery from loss was actually going to be a lifelong process? That's such a good question. Um, I think partly when I realized, I remember having the moment, um, and it's in the book too, where I went, oh, I really have to sit with this. Like I have to sit with this pain and this, this challenge. And that was definitely one of those, those moments. And, um, I was going to say, what was the other, uh, that's when I realized, you know, there isn't, it isn't a finite thing. It isn't like, oh, okay, now I'm over it. And that acknowledgement of kind of, uh, incorporating it. That was the other thing I realized in around that time, I can incorporate this grief into my life, meaning not that I'm going to be grief stricken forever, but that life still continues and I can incorporate what I am feeling into my day-to-day life. So I don't have to hide it. You know, I think often people, you know, who are around us when we're going through any kind of challenge like that, they feel as though, oh, let's just cheer them up or, or don't Mm -hmm. bring it up because you don't want to make her think about it. And the reality is, is you're thinking about it all the time. And the way to feel less lonely is, is when someone acknowledges or reflects back what we're feeling. And, um, that's the greatest gift. I think that we can, we can give people who are going through grief in particular. It's don't be fearful to ask questions. Yes. You might not know the answers to. Yes. And in return of helping another person. Yes. Um, you know, we try and beat around the bush a lot. I have friends who have gone through loss during this period of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have, um, been that person for them to try and ask the hard questions so we can get through it together. And they know that they're not alone yes. and that it's not about what the next party is or what the next thing yes. is in life. You know, that can yes. wait, this needs to, to be felt and you can feel it with somebody else in the process if you allow it. And if you don't, that's perfectly fine too. Right. Um, but I've never been through that. So that's why I ask these questions as well, because as somebody who is an outsider and trying to just help, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't have the right answers either. And I want to mm-hmm. be able to help somebody else who's going through it. So it's wonderful to hear that maybe that's what you needed and that maybe that's where my head was going during this period of mm-hmm. time with a friend as well. Um, I want to tap into a little bit on holding on to a perception of what life could have, should have, would have been. Because I think sometimes (laughs) that can obviously limit us from the acceptance we need to let go of the resistance to what the world has to offer us. Yes. And so how important do you think it is to really allow yourself to find freedom in changing one's view on what life is about and where we're headed? Oh, my gosh. Did did you ask how important is it? Uh, Yeah. It's probably the most important thing. (laughs) It's of the utmost 
or how did you learn, you know, how did you learn to get to that place? Cause I know that's something you also speak about. So fearlessly. Yeah. Well, because I, I think through my own experience of realizing we can't, you can't change the past and you can't change, especially as, you know, as an actress and a, and a creative person acting in particular and ask any producer, any studio person, anyone who hires people, they will mm-hmm. tell you there are a multitude of reasons why people get hired. 98% of the time, it isn't, you didn't not get the job because you didn't do a good job. You know, it, yeah. there are all these things. You look like somebody's sister. You're too short for the leading actor. You know, this part, like there are just all these things that have nothing to do with your ability. So you can't take these things personally, number one. And half the time when something doesn't work out, it's because you're being saved from something that you're not, you weren't meant for that job. You were meant to get something else or you were meant to have this time. If I, 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 for example, I felt at the time when all these things were happening, if I could just get another series, everything will be fine in my life. And I realized had that happened, I never would have properly grieved my dad. I never would have properly grieved my relationship. All of the, I would not have reevaluated my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I utilized that time because I was forced to, um, to do all of those things. And my life wouldn't look the way that it looks today had I not gone through those things. And uh, that is a huge gift. I, I certainly wouldn't have written this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, so, so I just, I want to encourage people to really trust the process of life. <laughs> you know, we, we, we show up for ourselves and, you know, shoot for our goals and, and, and hone our craft and do what matters to you and all of those things. And then you kind of have to let it go yeah. and trust that it's, and trust that, that the right things will happen. It leads me great to this wonderful thing that I wanted to talk to you about, because I think trusting your truth in a full state of acceptance can be challenging, but how did you rebuild your trust in your life? Because I'm sure that there were points that were Mm -hmm. so challenging that you couldn't see that light. Yeah. Well, this is a tricky answer because there isn't a, a, you know, a, a pat answer. It really is that I had to say, really identify with who I am and what, how I want my life to look. And it just becomes about putting, putting that journey above all else, because there is a real peace and freedom and joy that comes from really just settling into who you are and saying, this is what I got. And this is where I'm going. And that's how it's, it's, you know, when people talk about being in the flow and, uh, that's, that's what I think of it as both creatively and just in my own life as a human being. And so there isn't some magic switch that, that turns that on. It's more of a, a process of, moment to moment, day after day, realizing, ah, 
this is actually who I am. And this is, this is pretty awesome. (laughs) And it's probably okay as well to flip the switch on and off, you know, like it's the trusting process of like, Oh God, I don't trust myself. I don't know who I am. The next moment, I'm like, I know everything about yes. me. I'm wonderful. <laughs> I love my life. You yes. know, it's like, I think one of the greatest things of what I'm learning more and more, even just about the book and the teachings that you you are, are talking about is really about allowing people to understand the evolution of life and self. Yes. And how your art that you created wasn't about the profession side of it so much so as it allowed you freedom when yes. you were expressing yourself in Mm -hmm. one area of your life that then when that went away, you were like, how else do I express myself and get connected back to her? So let me tap into that for a second, but that doesn't feel familiar because I've only known it in one other way, but Mm -hmm. that can evolve and our purpose can evolve. Yes. And then it shows how big we are as how big the spirit is and how big our, we are as human beings. We have so much to tap into. And, you know, when sometimes when things are easy, we just, we only utilize a certain part of ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, I learned that lesson a little bit, um, first being on hiatus from it. So the first series that I did as a regular character was the series of clueless and that first hiatus I went. So I just went from working 16 hours a day, five days a week for however many weeks of the year, half the year to, Oh, I'm not doing anything. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe do a, maybe do a film or not, but then still have this bulk of time that was free. And I went, Oh, I'm going to lose my mind. Like what what am I going to do here? I am a creative person. And I started painting again. I used to paint when I was a kid. And so I realized, Oh, this is a, you know, this is a part of my, the core of my being, this, this being an artist. So I need to be able to tap into other ways of expressing that when I don't get to be on a film set. And that expanded all the, opened up all these other things to my, uh, you know, other exciting things to me that I wouldn't have necessarily looked into if I didn't have that free time. And I think that can apply to so many areas of, of life. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It seems like you've had so many amazing magical moments and that you found them through the challenging ones as well. And that is such a beautiful thing to listen to. I know we haven't talked so much about these beautiful, vivid experiences that you've had with your father since his passing, but for anybody who is sort of wanting to learn more about this, you know, please go and get her book. But I will say, can you just tap into a little bit of just about you feeling like there's life after death? Yes. Yes. This is a key part of my uh, one of the main reasons that I wanted to write the book is to give, to share my experience of, of hope and optimism in this area, because 
I have had the very real experience that when someone we love dies, they don't really leave us. And my dad has come back to me in many, many different ways. Initially, what I talk about a lot in the book are these dreams that I had with him, these visitation dreams, which are very different from a regular sleeping unconscious dream. And um, they're just incredibly vivid and in, uh, very, very authentic. And he was, is, is with me is all that I can say. I've had other experiences through music, through, I have little hummingbirds that come out every time I'm, yep. Every time I, uh, mm-hmm. do an interview about the book <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, um, it can feel so final when someone we love passes away and that emptiness is, is so vast and can feel so overpowering. And, you know, it's just that they passed into another, into another form and Mm. they are still with us in spirit very much. So, and they're, they're looking out for us and they want sometimes laughing. I know sometimes my dad is going, what are you doing? You know, when I get all bent out of shape about something that is really not that important. (laughs) And, um, so it's, it's, they, they, when we're open to it, they're, they're really trying to, to communicate with us and, and, um, give us comfort. For anybody who's listening, who may be going through a loss, is it a part of your daily practice now to speak to your father? If somebody is fearful to kind of, you know, reach out or to rewrite the story in some capacity, Mm -hmm. you know, what would you say, or how would you say that they should go about it? So I, 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 I wouldn't say it's my daily practice necessarily, probably almost. (laughs) Um, But initially when he first passed, I was, I felt very, I didn't realize how afraid I was to try to speak to him. And then I realized, oh, it's because if I do that, that really means that he's gone. And he really, it's like, I have to actually accept that he's gone in the physical form. So I was very resistant initially. And then once I broke through this, this barrier that I had kept up and I realized that was what I had been doing, that's when he really started to come to me. And, and the, the sense of, of, uh, peace and just incredible joy that I have experienced from that is, it's, I mean, there's just nothing like it. And it, and it, and it has given me such a, a great, uh, just a great sense of, of everything being okay and of Mm -hmm. being taken care of and looked after. And I think that we all have that and, you know, all have the ability to make that connection. But I do think that it has to first come from, from, um, a real willingness to be open and to be, and to be vulnerable and to, to acknowledge that, that there is something outside of just this physical world, which to some of us doesn't seem like a big deal, but some people listening might say, Whoa, like that sounds a little crazy or, you know, or I don't know, or I'm just too scared or I don't want to. And I would just say, be easy with yourself. 
and, and just allow, allow them to communicate with you. Just allow it. Well, thank you for taking the time to love yourself (laughs) and sharing it with all of us because it's needed and it's wonderful to hear. And I know that everybody beyond is so proud. So, so proud. I want to leave this episode just asking you a couple questions that make you, you. So we Mm. speak ever so often, obviously, about building a personalized toolbox on the show. And I want to know what led to your last flare-up or challenging moment? What did you do in that instance to feel more connected? So I'll bring this back to my daughter again, because there's no greater way of understanding that we don't have control over anything than to just have a child. And then you really see control (laughs) over anything. But, um, I sometimes have to, what I, the, the last incident I had with myself and it involved my daughter, Mm. I literally just said, let's scream it out. Do you want to just scream it out? Like, what is it? You know, you can't, you can't hurt yourself or someone else. Like there's no hitting anyone. There's no throwing ourselves, you know, against the wall, but let's just scream it out and tell me what you're so upset about. And we both did it. And then I went, Oh, that actually felt pretty good. (laughs) And then you realize again, feelings, these are all feelings and we have to get them out because sometimes they just get in the way of what's really happening. And I said to her last night, she was, what was she upset about? Uh, these complaints about the camp she's going to and all these various things. And then I just said, and then she said, and she's like worried that she's going to, uh, she's going to get sick, that she's going to throw up. She's going, she's created all of this anxiety in her head. Mm-hmm. And then I just said, well, what if you weren't afraid? What if you weren't going to get sick? What if that wasn't what you're going to think about? And what if the camp wasn't a problem? And what if, blah, 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 blah. What else do you think there's something else you're thinking about? Well, yes, I'm a little worried about starting school. Okay. Well, then that's, that's, that's like what's going on. You know, it isn't that you don't want to put your shoes on or it isn't that, you know, so sometimes just screaming it out helps. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And then lastly, what are the three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? And these can be words, feelings, sayings. Seriously, whatever authentically comes to you. Being who you are is one of the greatest gifts to the universe. Be kind, 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 and respectful. And really embrace whatever comes in your path. Yeah. Because it's meant to. Yeah. Is that three? That's three. That's three. (laughs) That's three. Guys, three. Well, thank you. Thank this you. This has been so lovely. Thank so, you. So much. If anyone would like to connect with Elisa, she could be reached on Instagram and Twitter at Red Donovan and Facebook at Elisa.Donovan. Thank you so much, Haley. You're a great spirit and a great light. And I just love what you're doing. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And if you are looking to continue the conversation around living an unapologetically authentic lifestyle, then this podcast is just for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing inspiring stories of ownership to self. To always remember to lead with the three M's, that's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. 
You've got this and we're here to support you along the way. So be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss an episode. It's okay to not be okay in your journey to become grounded in the power of you. Now, some of the topics we discussed today may have been triggering. So if you are in need to speak to a crisis counselor, please text home to 741-741 or head over to activeminds.org slash mhresources for curated resources ready to hear from you. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horenigay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice. Do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.